you were in that one serial I directed where everybody coughed blood into each other's faces, right? I, if I was. This is a long ass time ago. <laughs> I so was, I'm trying this to remember. This was March of 2020. If I, uh, you did it in the ball pit. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but the balls were antimicrobial, so it was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I was. Or if I was, I was not part of that one. Really? Oh. I, you know what? I, it was just my rotten luck that I was out that oh, week. Oh, what a shame. I didn't get yeah. blood in my face. What a shame. So many possible worlds, Welcome to the Worst of All Possible Worlds, the first and only podcast that has blood all over its face. I'm the Worst of All Possible AJs. I'm the Worst of All Possible Brian's. And I'm the Worst of All Possible Josh's. And joining us today is star of stage and screen, an amazing writer, <laughs> and co-host of and almost starring a wonderful podcast that you can find anywhere you get your podcasts, my very dear friend, one of the greatest cinephiles I know, it's Jeff Ronan! Oh my goodness, hey, thank hey you yo. so much for for that, probably the best introduction I'll ever get, AJ. And, I, and I'll just say, just to add on, I'm. some might say I am the worst of all possible Jeff, so I'll throw my hat in the ring. Hey, yeah, there we go. go. He did it. He, he did, did the thing. thing. He did the thing. He did the thing. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, I just want to extend my apologies after your lord passed away, thus leaving you a roaming samurai without a lord or <laughs> a ronin. You know, uh, I get people make that mistake a lot. It actually just means that I get into a lot of car chases with Robert De Niro and John Ronin. <laughs> No, it's very, very different. I don't get a sword. I don't get a sword, unfortunately. Uh, we'll send you one. We'll send you one down Tokugawa there. Tokugawa will pay for his crimes. <laughs> um, and James Clavell will write a very insensitive novel about it. Uh, so we are here today to talk about a subject that is actually very near and dear to Jeff and I's hearts. It is Alien, uh, Ridley Scott's amazing 1979 masterpiece that... Uh, I saw for the first time on Jeff's couch. Oh. I was curled in the fetal position, oh, no. uh, <laughs> screaming for most of it. But it is because of Jeff that if I have watched a good movie, it's most likely because Jeff has made me watch it. And I'm so glad that he made me watch this one so that I could watch it this time with the sound off at very particular points. <laughs> you now had the forewarning. Once you've seen a scary movie once, then you can then you know where the jump scares are and you can appreciate it as a movie instead of just... How am I going to get, you know, Jack in the Box scares at any given point? Yeah, yeah. And also and living in a state of tension. If you have forgotten, there is a website called where's the jump dot com, uh, which tells you the exact time code for every jump scare of any movie you could possibly want. I would highly recommend that for people like yeah. me who get panic attacks every time a man <laughs> in a rubber suit goes, ha, uh, <laughs> which happens a surprising amount in this movie. I'll say. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of jumps in this one. I haven't prepped you yet, AJ, for the part where a rubber man is going to come in from the side of my screen and go, rah, uh, during this recording. It's going to be really okay. something. But it's okay. He's just going to give you a big hug because that's yeah. kind of what the yeah. alien looks like every time it jump scares someone. It's just, just like, a Time and then yeah. Tell, it, yeah. he's, he's definitely uh, a, a where's my hug guy. Um, yeah. I think I think HR Heher was a master at painting where's my hug guys. Uh, can we get one more pronunciation of? Oh, uh, you're gonna get so many more, so I'm not gonna blow my load just yet. Oh, unlike HR Heher. Um, <laughs> Do you think H.R. Hegar uh, based the alien off of, he saw in the future and based him off John Lasseter? He just knew he was going to be yeah. where's my hug guy. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But yes, this is Ridley Scott's Alien. It is the yeah. 1979 classic motion picture starring Sigourney Weaver in what was really her breakout role. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Fantastic film. This is this is one of my favorites, honestly, as well. I, I remember watching Alien uh, on my own. I think as a teenager, um, just knowing, mm. like, I was always, I always, personally, I always really liked the aesthetic of it, um, yeah. which has a lot to do with the aforementioned HR. <laughs> Our microphone's yeah. gonna be drenched. <laughs> Why is my Dutch pronunciation better than yours, Josh? I don't know, Brian. <laughs> Do you want me to sing Dutch hymns for you instead that I learned in Dutch church growing up? Yes, yes actually. Uh, please. in the hoga, in the hoga, in the hoga. I'm so sending shit. that clip Honestly, to Nate Bethea, no context. Because that'd be a great underscoring to a horror Release film. the Borman cut. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, so that's my background with it, honestly. I just yeah. liked the aesthetic. What about you, Brian? Uh, I saw this in middle school. We had these little, like, elective classes that we did for like a third of a semester and so one was like a film appreciation class and so my English teacher did that and we watched a few cool movies I remember we watched Signs oh uh, yeah yeah and another one that we watched the one that stuck with me a lot more was Alien on you know just a little VHS pretty intense for fucking like seventh or eighth grade or whatever yeah he really respected us I guess Um, (laughs) I I really like he one of my favorite teachers truly yeah and so that was my first time seeing it but like it really is a different experience seeing something on videotape Mm -hmm. than it is like seeing it in uh, a nice high definition remastering or actually seeing it in a movie with surround sound or something. Or yeah, in, I mean, in, in I movie unfortunately wasn't able to make it out. They were doing a showing of this movie I on know. the big screen at the fucking IFC in the village, but I was out of town. Jeff, uh, at what tender age did you see Alien for the first time? I saw it for the first time in high school, but I, okay. I think I saw it. Not the whole movie, but good chunks of the sequel first. I think that was mm, on okay. TV mm. and I was seeing I have a vague recollection of seeing at least Sigourney in the mech suit and then going back to high school and seeing Alien. Uh, So I did a bit of a reverse watch. Mm -hmm. So what prompted you to show this film to AJ uh, and and, and send him out of his mind? (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, I'd seen it. uh, Those first two especially, I've seen several times possibly yeah. many times since then. Uh, and they're just, they're just classics. They're both. Cl- I also made AJ watch the sequel. I also made him watch. <laughs> we, did, we went back to back. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was the impetus for this film's creation? Uh, and how did it come together? I feel like Jeff, you probably know a little bit about this, right? We covered alien on and almost starring, which, uh, for those who don't know, the basic gist is we take a film and then look at all the actors who were considered or who auditioned, uh, and whether that would have made the movie better or much, much worse. And is also a good <laughs> element of fantasy casting. If we were to try to cast the film either for that year, or if it had never been made and we were making it today or X, Y, Z, uh, and also an excuse yeah. just to bad impressions of, uh, if Arnold Schwarzenegger had actually been cast as Beetlejuice, which is a thing that could have happened. And, and oh. is mind breaking. I, I remember Robert Altman was considered to direct this, which that makes sense considering, yeah, yeah a lot of these interior scenes. I love these ensemble, talky driven scenes because yeah. it makes it so real to me. This like yeah. blue collar vibe. It's super lived in, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Uh, and I just remember some one director, not Altman, but one director that because they didn't know what this alien was going to look like because I. I think it was really Scott that reached out to HR Heher. Um, <laughs> but someone was response, like the producers are like, well, what are you, what are you thinking that the alien would look like? And he's like, no one's going to care what the alien looks like. Just have a couple of hot dogs and you're good to go. Like 
I mean, the big like commercial impetus for a movie like Alien getting made was Star Wars. Star Wars was, yeah. you know, one of the biggest movies ever of all time. It it had a slow opening that then just kept accelerating and accelerating. And it made every studio go, oh, we have to do a space movie now. Um, we have to just like they did about 10 years earlier after 2001. They're like, oh, but now we have to do like sort of different genre space movies. So you see Star Trek, the motion picture comes out. Disney even tries this with a huge, huge budget flop called The Black Hole. Terrible movie. Some kind of cool pieces of production design. I've never even heard of The Black Hole. Oh, yeah. You can watch it on Disney Plus now and you'll stop probably about 15 minutes <laughs> It's got in. that little thing that looks kind of like a Dalek, right? The, that's that's what I yeah. seem to recall from The Black Hole. It feels, the whole thing feels kind of Doctor Who in yeah. a pejorative way. Um, so Dan O'Bannon wrote this movie. He also, in 1974, wrote a very important movie to me personally uh, called Dark Star, which was directed by John Carpenter. Yeah. Yeah. Dark Star's subtitle was The Spaced Out Spaceship. And and it, it follows in sort of a similar line. These guys are not in space with the government. They're not on a mission of exploration. They are demolition guys. They go around, they have these AI-powered gigantic nukes that they just drop on planets to demo them. And they've been in space for seven or eight years. One guy wasn't even supposed to be on the ship. He just, like, impersonated another crew member who was drunk at the time, and he just showed up there. And they're all just kind of insane at this point. Yeah, it's a hangout movie. It kind of feels like... God, what was the Edgar Wright sitcom that he did? Uh, Spaced. Spaced. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it feels like that's the vibe of the movie. Um, Spaced in space. Spaced in space, (laughs) sure. Spaced in space on the spaced out spaceship. (laughs) I I think something that's also worth noting about the historical context around, you know, when this movie came out, right, is it's 1979, uh, which means that we are now uh, two years into the actual like flying portion of the U.S. space shuttle program, both the economies of the U.S. and the USSR are kind of stagnating at this point. Right. Mm. But capitalism is winning uh, at this point as well. And so that provides an interesting background to sort of the narratives of greed and so forth that make their way into this film. I feel like the big key to the success of Alien is that it understood what made Star Wars special and it figured out how to make that approach in its own way. Yeah. Right. Where Star Wars is a fantasy adventure movie in space. Alien is like, okay, well, let's make a horror movie in space and a good one this yeah. time. I'd, I'd, I'd argue that it took even more than Star Wars, that its DNA is in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is in like the horror films from the earlier and mid 70s and of the slow pace of how you really, it takes, I mean, it's almost perfectly at the midpoint is the chestburster scene and of how it's so rare to see a film take its time in that way and trust its audience is going to sit there th- and and be patient and enjoy that open the opening of like how long you're seeing oh, like yeah. camera panning <laughs> of the ship of the just the credit sequence just yeah. making the camera making its way through those amazingly designed hallways and it takes forever for this for this crew to wake up it is my firm opinion personally that you can often tell a great movie just by its opening titles like mm, certainly mm-hmm. there are some less than amazing movies that have great opening titles, but boy, howdy, if they nail the ambiance at the very top, you're at least going to be along for the ride. And the way that like you've got the the music, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, he did the music for Star Trek. He was a big TV composer. 
Uh, oh. Who then, because did he of Star the Star Trek, the motion picture as well. He did Star Trek, the no- motion oh, picture, that and that kind of crossed so him over sense. into movies. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, he also did Planet of the Apes a little bit before Star Trek, but he, he was, yeah, he was the sci-fi music guy. Yeah. Um, aside from John Williams. Uh, well, we see the ship out from the outside. We see the Nostromo from the outside, and it just looks mm-hmm. like a city. Like, it's mm-hmm. just a giant floating city in space. It's moving slowly towards the camera. And we get uh, some information that there's going to be, there's seven people on board. It's got a shit ton of minerals that it's taking back to Earth. Um, and it almost looks like it's like a like a movie's promise to you. It's like, there's seven people, and we're going to kill them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that tracking shot of the underside, too, is definitely inspired by Star Wars. Like, that is that is 100%. pretty much the yeah. shot of yeah. the uh, Star Destroyer at the very Star beginning Wars of, and also, of the first film. I mean, you can see a little bit of, because of how long it is, 2001 A Space Odyssey and also Silent Running. Um, and Silent Running is another movie that just sort of wanders around the ship for a while before you actually meet Bruce Dern and everybody else. Yeah, and it's incredibly smart, I think, because it teaches you the geography of the ship so that mm-hmm. later when people are running around you never get lost as to where they are in relation to other things unless you know all the sirens are going off and there's like a strobe light that's completely <laughs> <laughs> that it looks like Sigourney Weaver is like about to have a seizure she has yeah. to like constantly look away from it it's very 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 effective the number one thing that I take away at least for this time viewing it was the set deck it I love these drinky birds I love yes. yeah. I love the coffee cups that they have that I think we, my parents owned growing up that I, I, I love, I love analog sci-fi that we just don't, now we just are like, no, we can see and we know what the future is going to be. And even if they yeah. thought they knew what the future was going to be in 1979, it still is like, yeah, drinky, drinky birds will still be here in a few decades. We'll have that littered <laughs> around, but it, it is, yeah. it's so wonderfully dirty. It's why, even though I'm not a huge fan of either franchise, I've always preferred Star Wars to Star Trek because I love, mm. I'm more interested in dystopia than utopia in pop culture and i think that this ship it's so dingy and dirty and it's so wonderfully lived in helen mirren talked about the the first thing she does when she gets a costume for a movie is she like musses it up and just like throws it in the corner Mm. of the room because everything designers love her yeah Uh, i was gonna say (laughs) (laughs) they're like you're the queen what are you doing um but just to make it not everything doesn't look like it just came right off the rack everything doesn't look like it just was just built for this movie and it feels like this whole set looks like it's been around for decades. This looks like an old ship. You see right. these guys, like they're the outfits on this crew and the way their ship looks. And you're like, yeah, this is not a new team. This is certainly not a new ship. The way yeah. that you are not just experiencing the music, but also all of the ambiance. Like there's, mm. there's, there's clicking, there's whirring, there's mm-hmm. humming. You know, this ship feels extremely alive. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to those uh, cryostasis pods, we hear breathing. And the, the breathing is sort of this organic mm. thing that is mixed in with these weird synthetic sounds. And it just creates this really already kind of uncanny sense of dread because you have this feeling of like, these are people who are in a cold machine and already the promise has been made in some way. Like you were saying, AJ, that they are not going to survive this machine. And it's so creepy the way the door opens for the camera 
it almost feels like we're ghosts, like we're the ghosts <laughs> haunting this place, and that we it is actually a POV shot, which we get a little bit later in the film, but mm-hmm. it, it, it sets up this incredibly eerie atmosphere. And then we just get to hang with what must be the smelliest people in the universe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine those those things opening up, it's like taking off a cast, but off of a whole human body. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. <laughs> oh, no. We meet the crew, you know, they're having some lunch. The topic of the day is bonuses, because shit yeah. really sucks on this ship and they sure hope they get the shares that they were promised because right. clearly this entire expedition has been a fucking boring nightmare. This movie does a great piece of, I wouldn't say it's misdirection because you know what the movie is going to be going into it. You it's know it's marketed Alien. as. Like, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, this movie starts with these characters. They have a specific goal and they're like, okay, we're waking up. We're going to be going to Earth. And then it diverts that completely. But there's always that thought in your head. Oh, wait, but there's this other thing that they were going to do. And they're just never, ever going to be able to do it. No, no. I mean, it almost I was sitting there going, oh, they're going to unionize this ore refinery. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) let's freaking go. There's going to be a lot of tense business calls with (laughs) Waylon Yutani. Yeah. The most dramatic part of the film will be when they decide who they want to be their uh, collective bargaining representative. Can you can you imagine going on strike against Wayland? Like just like how immediately you would die. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. So it turns out they were woken up from cryosleep a little bit early because of a distress right. signal. I want to pose a conspiracy theory. Do you mm. think all these mm-hmm. rumblings of the unionizing and, you know, Brett and... Uh, 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 Parker of trying to get these bonuses. Is this why the company is like, yeah, we're just going to tank this crew. Uh, we don't like these little rumblings we're hearing. We got to send a message oh, to the rest of our staff. Do you think that they're just constantly under surveillance? Well, I was just thinking they are definitely under surveillance, right. but I was wondering right. if like, are they constantly getting distress signals? Like there's just so many of them out in space. <laughs> they're like, yeah, we'll ignore it. Oh, oh, something bad is happening here. Let's just uh, redirect that computer. <laughs> yeah. Well, they really want that alien, uh, which they never name in this movie. Is that right? Xenomorphs is what we get in Aliens, I believe. Yeah, we but don't, in this I don't one, think we even get Wayland Yutani in this first one. I think it's I, just the company. I believe you're right. Yeah. yeah I that's think right. it, the, the only thing that has a name is Mother. Yes. And Mother is the name of the computer. Uh, Mother is also really the one who controls the entire operation. It's a lot like the computer in Star Trek or whatever else. It's like the nice lady computer. And at the beginning, you know, Mother doesn't have a voice or anything like that. It just seems like a computer, like in a real life situation, a computer that does not have like reasoning skills and does not make decisions other than the simple programming of a distress signal has been sent out. It has to respond to that. Yeah. I mean, we even see Dallas, Tom Skerritt, the captain go into the computer room and like try to access. And it looks like all he's doing is just typing in like questions and the computer is showing him answers on a screen that is way too small relative to the size of the room, which I think is a really interesting (laughs) production design choice. Across the room from it. Yeah. It's actually super like unsettling in a way that it's this gigantic room filled with lights and it's a teeny tiny screen in the middle. There is some sort of a beacon. Yeah. Beacon is emanating from a nearby planet. And uh, we also learned that their contract requires that they go out and investigate this thing. And there's a major question here of like, have we ever made first contact? Like, has there ever mm. been any contact between? And I, I haven't actually seen any of the other movies in the franchise, and I don't really intend to. Uh, I just like this movie so much as a standalone thing. But there is this open question. They get the signal. They don't know if it's human, but there's not necessarily any evidence that they've ever interacted with. Uh, sentient alien beings before 
Uh, mm. Brian, you got to see Aliens. I'm, no, I don't want to. <laughs> but it's so good. <laughs> don't want to. <laughs> Not to dive too much into the 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 franchise as a whole just yet mm-hmm. but i i only saw prometheus the one time in theaters but i know that that one is and i guess alien covenant as well are proper prequels right but i don't know if in terms of that group that crew's discovery of those aliens gets to anyone else if anyone else oh, is then aware okay. Of the mm-hmm. existence of aliens, but it was mm. watching at this time of I think it's Sigourney that's just like, is it human? This distress call, and I'm like, yeah, what the hell else would it be? Right. <laughs> yeah. Unless yeah. it's robotic, like I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if they're aware of androids that they exist, but just aren't aware that there's one on the ship. I don't know if yeah. they're aware of- for alien, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you were if you were watching the movie along with us as we talk about it, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> they're pausing it every couple of minutes every time. It's like, okay, we got the next plot description. I can go back to watching. Like the characters know exactly what they're talking about. And given moment but it lets you fill in the blanks between like what they're saying and what you know the reality of the situation is like Mm -hmm. we see this alien race that gets taken down by you know the xenomorphs but we don't learn anything about them hey there you are listening to a preview of a premium episode of the worst of all possible worlds if you'd like to listen to the rest of this head on over to our patreon that's patreon.com slash worst of all and you can listen to not only the rest of this episode, but our entire backlog of premium episodes, bonus episodes, and if you subscribe at the $10 tier, you will get an extra episode of the podcast every single month. Again, that is patreon.com slash worst of all. Hope to see you there.